Good morning, Willow Park Church family. I'm so excited that you can join us here this Sunday morning for our service that's online. It's exciting. It's been an exciting week. As you can see behind me, we've got a castle. This is not our new set going forward, even though I kind of wish it was, but the big TV in the back is kind of cool still. But we've had VBS happening this week, and it's been exciting to hear voices that aren't just, you know, Jordans next to my office, uh, you know, us talking together, but to hear small voices of children uh, in our our church here and to hear the songs, to hear the random screams every once in a while. It's been an awesome week. Thank you, Tamara and all the kids team and all the volunteers for all your hard work this week. Um, but besides that, we um, there'll be stories to tell. I'm sure you'll hear from VBS, but we want to begin our service together. And before we do that, I just want to pray and then I'll pass it off to Luke and he's going to lead us in worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful that we can do this, that we can gather together here uh, online this Sunday morning. Lord, we are so thankful for VBS that happened this past week. Lord, and for the young ones who uh, experience, you know, hearing about you maybe for the first time. Lord, for those who uh, come to church all the time, but just so excited to be back into the building. Lord, uh, we are really looking forward to, Lord, what the next months are going to hold with excitement, uh, believing that, you know, that we're going to have more of these gatherings like this. And so, Jesus, as we prepare to enter in today, we pray that you would uh, focus our hearts and our minds and our souls upon you, recognizing that you have something for your children each and every day. And Lord, you are the bread, you are the life that we need. And we come to you, Lord, knowing that you fulfill us. So we worship because you are worthy. And as we worship and as we hear the word, Lord, we are fulfilled. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this time together. Amen. Well, good morning, Willow Park Church. Thank you for joining us as we worship this morning. Uh, we're so excited to do this. And, and something that's been on my heart the last couple of days has been uh, Psalm 100. And it talks about making a joyful noise to the Lord. So I'm just going to read this out. And then we together are going to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So would you join me? in reading this and in praying this out too. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be us this morning, that we would lift up a joyful noise, whether we're singing the words or just, just yelling or dancing or running around or even if it's just a quiet joyful noise father we pray that we would lift one up to you for you are good your steadfast love endures forever and your faithfulness to us your children is for generations we're so grateful we love you god 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
joyful noise to you. We are making room for you to speak to us, to light our hearts with the fire of your Holy Spirit. Father, that we could know you more and that we can make you known more in our lives. That we would serve you with gladness, that we would come into your presence with singing.
Thank you, Luke, for leading us. Um, we are excited to continue our worship uh, through communion. And as I prepare um, for this time, why don't you go and you gather your emblems, your bread, and your juice as I share. Uh, this past Sunday, uh, Lake Country, we've been doing our online Zoom. We call it Upper Zoom. I know, really clever. Um, but uh, we had a time of communion together. And through this time, we did a three-step kind of process as we, per, as we took the uh, emblems. The one thing we did is we looked backward, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. We looked inward, you know, and asked ourselves, what's robbing us maybe of enjoying the sweet presence of Jesus in our life? Like, what's hindering us? But what, we know his presence is near, and that's the promise. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But sometimes we feel like, you know, it's far away. But the reality is he's right there. But maybe we've put something up or something else, something has happened in our life that, you know, we need to say, Jesus, take this from us. Lord, I lay this down at your feet. We take down that wall or, or those multiple bricks and his presence is just there. Um, we are experiencing just that touch of Christ. And then we look forward because communion is not just about you know, what he has done and what he's doing right now, but it's what he is doing in the future. It's recognizing that, you know what, this isn't the end. That you know, there is another time where we're going to fellowship with him. He's coming back again. And so it reminds us of what is there in the future. And so we're going to do this. So I'm just going to take a couple minutes. We're going to take like 20 minutes of silence for each of these to reflect, to look inward, to look backwards, to look forwards. And then we're going to partake together. 
So we're going to look backward. Christ's sacrifice for us. Romans uh, 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are called to remember the sacrifice. Let's take a moment, just remember what that sacrifice means for us. Now that we've looked backward, reminding, looking back to remind ourselves what this sacrifice means, we want to look inward. What's, what's maybe robbing us of that sweet presence of Jesus? What, what's maybe hindering us from experiencing this fullness of life that Christ promises us, that he gives to us? And this is where we reflect, you know, Jesus, where do I maybe need to confess? Where do I need to lay down, you know, at something that I've been holding on to? So let's take a couple moments here, 20, 25 seconds again, and just reflect. What is robbing me of that sweet presence of Jesus? Maybe you just knew something that popped up in your mind right away. I hope that as we reflected and as we continue to reflect that we have been, Jesus, forgive me of this. I lay this down at your feet, Jesus. Now we look forward. This is another time he's coming back again. Where we, this reminds us that, you know what, he's, he's not done. He's still working. So we take this in remembrance of what he has done, but also a remembrance of what is to come. And so let's partake together. This is his body broken for us. Let's partake. This is his blood poured out for us. Let's take together. Father, we thank you for what the cross means, Lord, what your sacrifice means for our lives, Lord. That we recognize that we needed you, Lord, and that as we walk with you, Lord, we get to lay down these things in our life that hinder us from your presence, and Lord, that there is a promise of more. There's a promise of eternity with you. Lord, we are so thankful for your presence with us. We pray as we continue to go throughout our week, Lord, that we'll remember the sacrifice. We'll remember the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Welcome to the one-year anniversary of Church Online. Here is your family news. Easter
Easter is just around the corner, and we are so excited to celebrate with you here at Willow Park Church. We have a whole week of special services and prayer nights planned. We hope you will join us for our online and drive-in Palm Sunday services next Sunday. Following that, we have four nights of prayer for Holy Week online each evening at 7 p.m. We will also have multiple online and drive-in services on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You can get all of the details on our website at willowparkchurch.com Easter. Clubs will be starting up again in April, and this time we will be offering it at three locations in Rutland, in the Mission, and in Lake Country. This is an amazing opportunity to bring your kids and your kids' friends and neighbors to a fun night of games, songs, crafts, and more. Learn more and register today at willowparkchurch.com clubs. This is our final week of noon prayer. Join our pastors and other leaders online for a half hour of meeting with God and praying for one another each weekday, Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock noon. To find out how to connect, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com prayer. Alpha is a free online course that allows you to explore the Christian faith and ask life's big questions. We are starting the Alpha course online starting Tuesday, April 13th at 7 p.m. And it will run for several weeks. If you haven't taken this course yet, or even if you haven't taken it in a while, we encourage you to sign up and bring a friend. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com alpha. Let me share with you five reasons why I believe doing the Alpha course will impact your life, even as a Christian. You might say, why? Why should I do the Alpha course? Reason number one, boy, when you do the Alpha course as a Christian, it gives you real confidence in God to reach out to your friends and to your family. Number two, leading on to that, well, if you're doing the Alpha course, then it's easier to invite your friends and your family. There's people I've got in mind who I want to invite to do the Alpha course this time. And I know that if I say I'm doing it and I'll do it with you, that will make all the difference to them. Thirdly, it really refreshes your faith and your belief in the gospel. It brings that joy again, that sense of, oh, this is fantastic. I feel refreshed and excited. Fourthly, well, Alpha is unique. I remember Alpha being started in the United Kingdom just as a small movement that has literally now become a global movement, changing millions of lives. And when you do the Alpha course, you're part of something that connects the global church but also locally. And that's very powerful. And to be part of that, to be part of that revival, that part of that movement makes such a difference. And finally, well, it's COVID. We all need to keep connected. And it's hard to keep connected to community at this time. So I would do the Alpha course for those five reasons. And if you're interested, please go to Willow Park Church slash Alpha and join in and join Alpha. Thank you. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Hello, 
the South would be very, very happy. I know. Okay. Good morning, church. It's great that you've joined us this morning as we continue our series in Daniel. For those of you joining us for the first time or watching it online after the fact, my name is Glenn and I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park Church and we're so grateful that you put time aside to, uh, to listen to the Word of God and to be encouraged and maybe a little bit challenged and uh, that's, that's really exciting. So while you turn to Daniel in chapter 9 specifically, uh, one of the things that I've done lots and lots of as a pastor over the last 30 years is leading uh, funerals. And, and they are obviously a very, very difficult and challenging moment, having you know, spent time with the family beforehand. And then you know, there's a lot of focus on the funeral, obviously. And uh, at the same time, when, when you lead a, uh, a funeral where there is hope in Jesus and the hope in the afterlife and the hope in all the, all the beautiful promises that he's given us, funerals can be a time of, of wonderful reflection because what you, what you have is this opportunity to hear the story of the person that we're gathering to celebrate. And, and it's their legacy, what it is that they left in life, the mark in life, if, they, if you like, the relationships they've built, the activities they've been involved in. And so it's a real honor and joy to be able to get an insight into sometimes you get surprises. You're like, I never knew that person did that, or I never knew that person was involved in that. And you look at photos, and it's a beautiful, beautiful moment mixed with intense sadness and mourning as well. So this morning, what we're going to do in Daniel chapter 9 is we kind of get an insight into the legacy of Daniel. Because for chapters 1 through to 6, you get some picture of what his life was like, his decisions from an outside perspective. But in Daniel 9, you, it's almost like you, you're reading Daniel's journal. You get an insight into his heart. It shows his heart in beautiful, beautiful ways. So we're going to camp out here for the next few minutes. And my hope and prayer is is that you'll be tremendously encouraged as well as it's quite challenging. I found this chapter personally challenging because it gave me a reminder of what is most important in life, but also what's most important in a Christian life as we're seeking to follow Jesus. So let's jump straight in into the very first verse of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashesaurus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Wow. Okay, we're straight in. This one of those passages, those verses, you have to go, okay, I just read it, but I didn't really. So we're going to, you know, I'm going to read it again. So let me help you in explaining to you uh, what's going on here. So right back hundreds and hundreds of years before, God made a promise, a covenant with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And Moses was witness to that covenant. There was writings, the Ten Commandments and various other laws that you can read about in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But this covenant that God made with his people gave them fair warning. What, what I mean by that is, he says, look, it's a covenant, it's a promise. It's a two-way agreement. You do this. 
this, I do this, I do this, you do this. That's the way it works. And, and if you're to break that covenant, God said to his people, then there would be consequences. Now, you might go, well, that's really harsh, but that's the world we live in. You know, we live in a world of covenants. If we break covenant, then there are consequences. And, and this covenant, if they were to keep this covenant, meant that they would be lived, living in blessing. They would enjoy God's presence. So centuries after Sinai, Jeremiah, and you can read about it in Jeremiah, rebukes them because they've ignored God's covenant, and he calls them to repent and to come back to God to avoid disaster. And for 23 years, the people of God, Israel at that time, and Judah, they ignored Jeremiah, ignored God's call to come back to them. For 23 years, they just completely disregarded Jeremiah's message. And Jeremiah warned them very specifically, you continue down this line, then you will end up in exile. What does exile mean? Well, we've talked about this a lot. It means that they would get kidnapped, they'd get murdered, they'd get sold, they'd be taken off into slavery. It was a horrible, horrible time of Israel's history. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So a decade after this exile moment happened, Jeremiah writes them again, and you can read about it in Jeremiah 29. And this is what Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So even though the Israelites now are in exile, Jeremiah is calling them, look, you were warned, but you're now in exile. This is how God wants you to work and live in exile. I want you to build houses. I want you to have families. I want you to seek Babylon, in this case is prospering. And and I want you to flourish in Babylon. Pray for it on its behalf. And then he goes on and he says, because after 70 years, Babylon will be destroyed. But in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. So Israel, for years and years, had lived in the promised land before they were taken into exile. They were used to being the, the moral majority, if you like. They, they were the dominant culture in that land. And then exile, living in Babylon, resulted in them living in a culture that was completely foreign to them. They were no longer regarded or respected. They were disregarded and disrespected and treated badly. So here's where our world and Babylon and Israel come together. Because in many ways, and I've talked a lot about this over the last nine weeks, is we, this culture that we live on, in, is Babylon. We, and we, we kind of paralleled a lot of pa- uh, Babylon's views and a lot of Babylon's uh, religion and worship with what our culture worships. And it's, it's a really interesting study and so, so accurate. And as Christians, we now are living, and I've said this often, in a post-Christian society. What does that mean? It means that our culture, our society, has moved away from the moral, uh, the ideal, the, the beliefs that we have as Christians. Because it's not that long ago when our country and our city and our province actually was founded and regarded and respected Christian moral values. They may not have believed it, but there was a morality there that was very, very Christian. But they've moved away from that. Culture has accelerated away from our ideals. And we find this really difficult because we think that Babylon should be acting like Christianity. We're blaming Babylon for being Babylon. 
All Babylon, all Kelowna, all the Western culture is doing is reproducing exactly what you would expect the Western culture to produce. And yet Christians, we get, we get really upset and angry and, and, and we yell a bit and get frustrated with Babylon being Babylon. It's a bit like, you know, getting angry at a dog for being like a dog. It's, it's a dog. That's, that's what it is. And so, you know, I quoted this quote, in, I think, in my first message, and it comes from uh, a good book, Creative Minority, Influencing Culture Through Redemptive Participation, quite the title. But this, this really rings true for us. Personal faith in our culture is welcome. But expressing our convictions or espousing ideas as truth in public is uncouth at best and often taken as coercive, intolerant, or even threatening. That's the world we live in. That's the Babylon that we're in. And so we have three choices, three basic responses. And and I've talked again a lot about this over the last few weeks. The first response is that we separate ourselves. We we get angry and fearful. We pull away from culture. We hunker down in our Christian subculture. And we get angry at Babylon for being Babylon. We get angry at our culture for being the culture that it is. It's just the natural outworking of what is going on. And we separate. Or what we can do is we compromise. We can get so involved in Babylon that we come like Babylon. That There's actually very little difference between our lives and the lives of the community and the culture around us. We admire Babylon. So first state, separate, is we get angry at Babylon for being Babylon. The second state is that we admire Babylon for being Babylon, and we want to be like Babylon. And then there's the third way, which is Daniel's example in, in Daniel. And, and there's this third way really is based in Jeremiah 29 verse 7, which is seek out the welfare of your city, get involved in the city. Daniel was a high-ranking government official, and yet totally dedicated to the God that he believed in, the same God that we believe in. He got involved, he sought the flourishing of Babylon, he prayed for Babylon, and yet he was in it, but not of it. That is the third way, the third way, and that is the way that God is calling us to be. So what does this tell us, now that we're in Daniel 9, about Daniel's legacy? Well, we can see how he acted, we can see how he got involved by reading Daniel 1 through to 6, But Daniel 9 gives us the heart behind it. This is the heart that you and I as Christians, as Jesus followers, should have. Where is our motivation? And this is what we see in Daniel chapter 9. That we get involved in our culture without becoming like our culture. We don't separate ourselves, getting angry at Babylon for being Babylon. But we we kind of, it it burdens us and causes us to act in different ways. So what's the first thing we can see? Well, first of all, Daniel reads, he obeys, he prays, and he receives. Look at verse 2. I, Daniel, perceived in the books. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel has read Jeremiah. He's seen Jeremiah 28, 29, and he's like, okay, we're in this exile now. Here are my instructions on how I should live, to seek the welfare, to pray on behalf. But I'm also discerning that there's something important about this 70 years. 
What's beautiful about this is it sets us a standard as Christians. I really want you to listen carefully to this. What Daniel is doing is he's reading the revelation given to Jeremiah. He's reading the scriptures. And then he's seeking to obey that revelation. He prays through the revelation. And as a result, God responds to Daniel. God responds. So the principle is really simple. Daniel reads... He prays and he obeys and God responds. And that's exactly the same for us as Christians today. One of the common things that I hear from people is I don't feel God at the moment. I don't feel close to him. I don't hear from him. And my my gentle encouragement would be this. Is do you position yourselves to read what the Lord has said through his scriptures, to obey it, to pray it, and then look for that response? Because God doesn't treat Daniel any differently than he treats you and I. And so if you're feeling distant from God, follow the same standard that Daniel lived by, which is to seek God, to read the scriptures, to obey it, and to pray. You see, it's, it's easy to read. It's not so easy to obey and pray. And yet Daniel sees Jeremiah 29, 7 and says, this is the way I'm going to live my life. And he literally puts his life where the scripture says. He puts his life on that. And we've been studying over the last few months before this series and how to be Jesus followers. What are the practices that Jesus practiced that we can emulate in our lives? And so... We resort to, I can fix this. I can work my way through this. I'm an intelligent person. I have the ability to get myself out of this situation. And yet, life reminds us that oftentimes we can't do that. That rather than looking at ourselves, we look to God, we look to his word, we look to his encouragement, and we look to his response. And in doing that, we find tremendous freedom, and we hear from him, and we do feel his presence. That's the way that Daniel lived. And then look what he says in verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer. See, this is him obeying Jeremiah 29. And please for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This is Daniel responding, obeying, and praying. Exactly how Daniel, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 29 gave instruction. And then look at this. And this is where I just want us to anchor in this week. Listen to this next verse. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. What's fascinating about this verse is this. Daniel has dedicated himself to living by the moral standard and truth and practices that God has laid down. And yet what he does is he aligns himself with the people who have not. We have sinned. You see, Daniel is not standing in judgment. He's not self-righteously going, oh, it's them, they, that person there. He doesn't judge He resonates with them, which brings me to the second thing. So the first thing is, is Daniel reads, he obeys, he prays and responds, and God responds to him. The second thing is, he feels the burden and stands in the gap. As Christians in our Babylonian culture, Kelowna, British Columbia, the West, wherever it is you might be, As we look at our culture, we are called as Christians to feel the burden and stand in the gap. Feel the burden, stand in the gap. So if you're taking notes, write that down. We live in a culture, in a society, our post-Christian 
postmodern culture where individualism reigns supreme. It is all about what you can achieve. We celebrate it as parents. We err on the side of individualism all the time. And what's that look like? We celebrate and encourage personal achievement. We, we, We educate our young people and our society educates us that success comes to those who want it more, who work hard for it. If need be, step on others to get it. Whatever it takes... You can be successful because you have everything you need in order to be successful in this world. You don't need to rely on anyone else. You don't need anybody else. This is the education our culture tells us. I saw this graphic this week that I thought just really, really describes exactly the way that we are. That me has replaced we. We don't have this collective community sense anymore. We say that we do, but actually the way that we live our lives is incredibly individualistic. You take care of you. And it shows itself in all sorts of different ways, not just the way that we do education or, or, or work or our businesses or just our family life. We actually, it shows it's in our relationships that we think community is the circle of people that we live with or that we're related to, and it's not. Because you can actually be individualistic as a family. That There's an ignorance towards the collective need, and, and we default to that. We demand fair treatment, but mostly for ourselves. We demand fair treatment for our family. We demand fair treatment for those who we're very close to, but we don't align ourselves with people who are outside of that circle. That is what our culture encourages, look after yourself, look after your own desires, take care of you. And yet, friends, that is not what we're called to be or do. That is not our design. If you're not, if you're not a Christian, you're not completely bought into what Jesus taught, that's fine. We love that you've joined us. But deep inside, you know that our design, the way we're wired, is that we need one another. Not just our close circles, but our community. We're we're designed to interact and connect. That's the way it should be. But as Christians, that is really, really highlighted. One of the metaphors that the New Testament talk about all the time is it describes us as family. That God is the Father... Christ Jesus is our brother, and our church family are our siblings. So please listen to this. I don't know what the marker is on the video right now, but just take note of the marker because you might want to listen to this again. This is so important, especially in the season that we're in as a church, in the middle of COVID and everything else. This is so, so important. We are siblings. We're siblings. One of the most common Uh, phrases in the New Testament is this one another phrase. Uh, It's all the authors in the New Testament use this phrase all the time. It's so we're to love one another, live in harmony with one another, not pass judgment on one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to serve one another, bear one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, teach one another. It goes on 
and on and on. And it's teaching directly, friends, to you and me, the Christian church, the South family and the mission, the Willow Park Church family across Kelowna, the church across Christendom. We are called one another family together, not individuals, together as a family. And you have to do theological gymnastics to make Christianity just about you, your Bible. Let me get there. Oh, I missed a slide. There you go. You, Jesus, your Bible, your podcast, and Spotify worship. That is not what we've been called to. And yet COVID has, has filled in the gap of gathering together, but that is not what we're called to. That is not our end. That is not our design. We're called to so much more. Some people listening have been really hurt by the church. I had a conversation this week about somebody with somebody who had been really let down by a church. So have I. So have I. So have most people. If you're around church long enough, you will be hurt by church because church is not perfect. It is not, it's filled with, with a kind of a motley crew of people from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different experiences, different viewpoints. And yet God calls us together as family. And Jesus loves this family. And surely as Christians, we should love what Jesus loves. And you really have to do significant gymnastics through the New Testament to come up with this being your Christianity. This is what COVID has resulted in in many places. That you might be listening to a sermon from another around, from somebody else around the world. That's great, wonderful, beautiful. But that is not your calling. Our calling, church in Kelowna, is to church in Kelowna, the local church family. And so I want to encourage you and love say to you that if you are considering that this be your end, that this be your future when it comes to church, then I want to say to you very gently, but at the same time firmly, that is not Jesus' calling on your life. Jesus' calling on your life is to be involved in family, to be we instead of me. Let's not, let's not encourage the individualistic, I don't need anybody else kind of framework, because it doesn't work. Family is amazing and brilliant and wonderful and frustrating and hard and difficult all at the same time. That's what family is. That's exactly what we've been called to, to love what Jesus loves. We're called to confide in one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to create memories with one another. That is our calling. And you don't create a memory with a podcast. You don't create a memory with Spotify. You don't create a memory sitting me, myself, and mine. And I say this because all the statistics that we're hearing is that the church will reduce by up to 30% when we start gathering together. And I refuse to believe that that is biblical. I refuse to believe that that is our future. Because I honestly believe the more we connect with Jesus, we will fall in love with what he loves. And it ain't podcasts. It's the church. And it's the work of the church. It's the one another together. So as we're looking with hopeful minds and hearts that we might be able to gather again together in this building, at Rutland, across Kelowna, then I encourage you to start placing church commitment and connection into your habits again. 
Do not create a habit of disconnect and isolation and individualism because that is not how we are most effective. Because here's what's amazing about the one another's. Jesus, in his sermon on John, in John chapter 17 and in other places in the New Testament, he says this, they, the culture, will know you and know Jesus by your love for one another. The way that evangelism is most effective and outreach is most effective is by the church functioning together, loving one another, committing to one another, making memories together, praying together, bearing each other's burdens, sharing together, being connected to one another, meeting together, singing together. It goes on and on. That as we do that, they, the culture, the society that we're trying to reach, will know Jesus. You don't believe me? Read John chapter 17. He says, follow my commandments, and they are. And then he talks about loving one another, caring for one another. I'm giving you a clarion call. Get ready, church, to gather. Well, you know, but it's so convenient. I don't remember reading convenient in the New Testament when it comes to Christianity. What I do remember is bearing one another, bearing Jesus' cross. We're in a fight, and we fight together. And so let's go back to my two slides. We're coming up on Alpha starting in, in, uh, in April 13th. There's two websites I want to draw your attention to. Why am I throwing this in the middle? Right? Why not announcements at the beginning? Because we've been called together to share the good news of Jesus Christ together. I sent a video out last week in my email. Please read it. I'm not going to repeat it all. But... These two websites, the first website is for you specifically as a Christian as to why, five reasons why you should do Alpha. And the second one, you may have already started seeing adverts around the city for, tryalpha.me. That is the call to people who don't know Jesus. We're already getting good traffic to these websites. We're believing that people will come to know Jesus. But you know what? 80% of people join Alpha when somebody who already knows Jesus has seen Alpha brings them or says, I'll watch it with you. That is the me versus the we. Yeah, somebody ought to run Alpha, but not me. Yeah, you should do Alpha, but not me. Let's do something different. And as we do so, we'll grow up imperfectly together, but we will grow. We will grow. And so as we consider what Daniel is doing here, it is about we together. He aligns himself with others. It's not Just individual viewpoint is together. Commit to your local church, whatever that church might be. As a pastor, I often experience the, uh, and it's not a great experience when you suddenly hear that somebody has left your church. Oh, so-and-so. I haven't seen so-and-so for ages. Oh, they just left. Really? And it's such a shock. Because often the pastor or the leadership are the last people to know. Can I just tell you? Stick with your local church. Stick with the church. Unless that church is not preaching the gospel, or you feel called to go to another church, then stick with your church. You don't get to leave your family. You can ignore them. You can separate. But it's not a pleasant place to be. South, friends, if South and Willow Park Church is your church, stick with your church. If God has called you to leave, great then we will bless you. Come tell me. And if we stop preaching the gospel, ain't going to happen, then you have my full permission to go. Not that you need my permission to do anything. 
Otherwise, stick with your local church. I remember Sarah and I, when Luke and Zoe were very small, I'm talking three and one, we, uh, we re-envisioned a church, replanted a church, if you like. And, and it was that classic story where Sarah and I were in our mid-20s, about 24, 25. I was working full-time as a teacher in, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in an elementary school, and Sarah was uh, piano teaching. She was a full-time mom, and it was busy. But we pastored this church. And on a Sunday, we would gather, we'd get there with our two little ones, and we would, it's the classic story, so eye roll permitted, but we would host, we would lead worship, we would, uh, I would drum and put Luke on a little disconnected electronic drum pad as he was like one, we got pictures of him doing, it's beautiful, and, and then Sarah would then take the kids and do Sunday school while I preached, then we'd make the cookies and, and, and the coffee and the tea for fellowship afterwards, and then we We'd lock up, we'd tidy up, we'd hoover up, we'd put the chairs away, and we'd go home and collapse and nap if our kids were allowed. Then we had Tuesday night prayer meeting, we'd do youth on Friday, and then oftentimes we'd gather all again on a Sunday evening and do it again. Why am I saying that? Am I saying that's the way church should be? No. But we committed. There was no other children in that age group at our church. The youngest people, I remember Sarah and I getting so excited when another family joined. We were like, Yes! Do you know what was beautiful about that church? Is the people who were running the youth were in their 60s. And I remember them. They were so faithful and they cried and wept and prayed over the kids from the local council estate. They were amazing. They were faithful. They stuck with it. They were passionate. And I am so grateful. That is what God has called us to be as a church. So join with us. Join with us, just like Daniel shows here. Look at this beautiful... Oh, by the way, if you, if, when you leave family, you tend to get chased down a little bit. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. But listen what Brian Chapel says. When we truly perceive our responsibility to bear and confess the sins of others, then cynicism... This is, this is think about Daniel saying we have sinned. Then cynicism, sarcasm, and ridicule die in the church. Instead of objectifying others as sinners unlike us and standing apart to judge them, we instead get in the boat of need with them and in doing so truly learn about the nature of God's mercy for them and for us. What a beautiful, beautiful quote. Living in grace requires giving ourselves for others, living for them by confessing need with them and for them. Oh, now... O Lord, Daniel prays, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself at this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. See, what Daniel is doing here is exactly what Ezekiel in chapter 22 calls us to be. The prophet says on behalf of God, I, on behalf of God, I have looked for anyone to repair the wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. Daniel is praying on behalf of his land. See, Moses prayed on behalf of the Israelites. Samuel prayed on behalf of the Israelites when they demanded a king. Daniel is praying on behalf of the Israelites when they are still stuck in their sin in Babylon, in their discontent, in their apathy, in being assimilated in Babylon. Daniel is praying on their behalf. And can I tell you, friends, that Jesus is praying on our behalf at the right hand of God, even as I speak about his church rising up together, 
one another and doing great exploits on his behalf in the land. Inviting people to come to Alpha. Praying for people. That is what church is. And communities get changed with that kind of work. Not just by us individually hunkering down and focusing on making as much money and becoming like Babylon as much as we can. You don't win people like that. You win people by being the church. Number three. Daniel directly confronts God. He directly confronts God. Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. Wow, Daniel is brave. I mean, he's experienced Gabriel coming to talk to him. Gabriel's not one of these flying naked babies that you see on the front of Christmas uh, Christmas cards. He's a warrior angel. Likely nine, ten foot tall. He's probably crammed all into me. If it's a room, he'd be kind of bent over like this. He's a warrior angel. And this is Daniel now praying. He's experienced Gabriel. And he's, he's praying, God, open your eyes. Like, like this is amazing, fearless, confrontational prayer. This city is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, God, because of what you have done. I feel confident to pray with determination, almost confrontationally, and demand that you do something in our land. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Friends, those of you who are feeling the call of God to pray, do so with vehemence and confrontation and and determination that we need prayer warriors to stand up and say, God, we are your people. We have sinned. We are apathetic. We are disconnected. We are are connected to our screens, but disconnected to one another. That Lord, pray that you would forgive us of our sin and our apathy, because that is the state that we're in, church. And we need this forgiving prayer. This is gutsy praying. Gutsy praying. And Lord, and, 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 and Jesus knows that we have more right, arguably, than Daniel to pray with vehemence like this than Daniel did. Because we are now post Jesus' sacrifice for us. We, are, we experience as Christians his sacrifice, his forgiveness, so that our sin, our debt, has been forgiven through belief in Jesus on dying on the cross. Our sin and debt applied to him, that he becomes our substitute. It dies with him. He takes the punishment that I deserve. And by doing so, the gap that is between me and God because of my sin is closed, and we are now at one month atonement. That I can access God. That I'm a child of God. That I can, I can forgive this language, but I can kind of strut up in a reverent way. Like a little guy comes, like a little toddler comes to his or her mum and dad and demands. And our love for that child leans in there. I mean, sometimes those demands are out of order, so the analogy breaks down. But you understand that same access we have with God the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross Daniel presses in. We must press in. In Daniel 9, 24 through to 27, we get a bit of an insight as to why this is possible. Uh, These scriptures, the back end of this passage, uh, are complicated scriptures. Let me just read you one or two verses from verse 24. 
Seven, this is now uh, Gabriel talking to Daniel and, and giving him response to his prayer. And he says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. And then he goes on and he starts talking about different numbers and the temple and the anointed one. He goes on and, and it's a very complicated, involved piece of scripture. And again, it's one of those scriptures that has been used badly in the past to try and determine when specifically Jesus is going to come back. One of my favorite teachers, Alistair Begg, said this in reference to this particular passage, and I think this is brilliant. In what follows, he said, in his lovely Scottish accent, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about to now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. He said that in direct connection to 24 to 27. So here's what I want to tell you, there are, and you can look into it, there are four Basic, not very basic, complicated views that scholars recognize when it comes to this passage of Scripture. From one end, you have this more liberal view that it's talking about specific dates, years, hours. That's, the, that's on one end. And then in the other end, where I'm more comfortable and feel happier theologically, is this idea that, that, that we're living in the 70th week, whatever that week might be. Is it a, a literal week? I don't think so. Is it a year? I don't think so. I think it's an age, a time. It's we're in the 70th week. And it's this week when Jesus, this is what this passage talks about. Jesus, the anointed one, is going to come and restore. He's going to beat evil once and for all. That he has already died on the cross and forgiven sins. But there's going to be an ultimate reckoning. So what does this passage usually talk about? You see, God sent Abraham, Abraham, uh, Gabriel even to tell Daniel what's going to happen in the future. It's good news. He's saying, Daniel, your prayer is going to be answered. There is an anointed one coming, and we know his name to be Jesus. And he will die for the sins of many, all those who believe in him. That, that sin will be substituted. That his life will be given to them, imputed into them, and they will live victorious lives. The church the family of God. But there will come a time, Daniel, when his victory will be pronounced over all mankind. That there will be a time when there'll be a separation. There'll be a time when there'll be a judgment. There'll be a time for those who rejected Jesus, where ultimately their end for eternity will not be with him. There will be a time when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And as Christians, we have the joy and the privilege to live with King Jesus forever on this new earth. There is coming a time, Daniel. See, Daniel gets not just an answer, he gets a phenomenal answer. That is what those verses are talking about. The gospel and Jesus returning in victory. And so Daniel, coming full circle, is able to pray with vehemence and determination, almost confrontationally, because he knows the end promise. You can even read it in Jeremiah 29, the classic coffee mug fridge verse. For this verse, if you notice, is directly after verse 7, where it says, seek the welfare of Babylon. It says, for if you do that, if you pray on their behalf, seek their welfare, 
Be family, stay together, be the church, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, gather you all from all the nations. In other words, bring you back from exile and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which you, uh, which I sent you into exile. Daniel knows the future. He's read about it in Jeremiah. Gabriel comes and tells him about it several times over. He's secure. So he's saying, Lord, I know what you're going to do. So bring it on, Lord. Forgive us. He's pleading on behalf of the church, not blaming Babylon for being Babylon. Friends, Christians, our response to everything that we observe and see in this world is to live good lives, to seek the welfare of our city, to pray on its behalf, to establish homes, to bring up strong families. It is not to separate ourselves in criticism and be angry at Babylon for being Babylon, but it is to represent Jesus well, invite people to come to know him, share the story of the church, to connect into the church family and pray. That is our calling when we think about living in Kelowna and in the West, in this post-Christian culture. It is not to rail against post-Christian thoughts, because they are post-Christian thoughts. It is to confront God, to lovingly ask Him to change lives, to seek ways that we can share the story, to invite people to things that the church is doing, because we want to equip you. The church leadership is here to equip you to minister. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. My job is to equip you to minister in our, in our, to the saints and to our community. So when I read Daniel 9, I get an insight into his legacy. I get an insight into his prayer. I get an insight into his hope. I get an insight into the love that he has for God. I get an insight into his relationship with God, the presence that he has with God, his dedication to God. And I get an insight into the knowledge that he has that in the end, Jesus will return in victory. Whenever that might be, we need to be ready for it. He's now standing, sitting on the right hand of the Father, praying on your and my behalf because of what he did on the cross for you and for me. So church, let's get ready. That email is coming. We can gather. Is it going to be, yeah, but I've kind of enjoyed watching church and put my pajamas Great, come to church in your pajamas. We don't care. Nicole and I will giggle. Sarah will think it's funny. That's fine. Come in your pajamas. We don't care. Come as you are. But come. Dedicate yourself to the church family in Kelowna. We need you. You need us. And God's plan for the future is the local church. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. What an inspiration your word is. That as we skim along the surface of the revelation that you gave Daniel. Lord, we stand on his shoulders believing, Lord Jesus, that you not only died on the cross for us. And thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you substituted yourself for my sin. 
took my punishment so that I could have life and calling and adventure. Forgive us, Lord. As we stand together as a church, forgive us, Lord, for the way that we approach that with apathy sometimes, with disdain sometimes, with fear. Fear for what people might think. Fear for what might happen in the future. Lord, I pray that you would cause your church here in Kelowna, in the mission, in Rutland, in Lake Country, Lord. Lord, to rise up in faith, in belief, that, Lord, you are victorious, that you are the answer, that you are the way. Lord, I pray that many, many people would come to know you through Alpha. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, this city would have a move of God that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren for generations to come will talk about. God, I pray in Jesus' name, revive us first as your church, that we may experience your revival in this city. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. We love you so much. King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go now, willowpartchurch.com slash alpha. Or try Alpha. Try Alpha is for people who don't know Jesus. Uh, that's the thing that's all on the posts and everything. The slash Alpha is for you and me. You can register. Here's what I said, and then I'm going to stop talking. Register today. You register for Alpha. Do it for two reasons. Number one, if you've never done Alpha, then you should... Actually, three reasons. Number one, if you've never done Alpha, you should see what it's like. Number two, we'd love to see you. It'd be great for the South family to gather and do Alpha. And number three, when you register, do it in faith, believing that you're going to bring somebody. Start praying for somebody and ask them. They're waiting for you to ask them. Trust me. Ask them to come. Tell them, try alpha.me and let's fill this online course with people who are eager to know more about Jesus and eager to learn about Jesus. I'm excited for it. So go there now, just have a little look, press register, let's flood it, let's take the system down because of all the people registering for Alpha in Kelowna. And uh, that said, we will see you next week, Palm Sunday. And, uh, and as from Sarah and I and Nicole and the team, we love you, we miss you, we're looking forward to gathering together really soon. God bless.